Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is Rich Take on Sports, and we are back again this week. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now, we've reached a milestone with this episode, as this is episode number 10, the round number of number 10. Can't believe it's here. I actually really cannot believe that we are in episode number 10, a month into this journey, and it's absolutely going fantastic. You know, I've never had any set expectations for this podcast, and I really don't, you know, moving forward. The main thing is I'm just enjoying this journey of this podcast and just being able to continue to share stories and the impact of sports in people's lives and just provide as much of those stories as possible and really just trying to provide the three C's, content, content, and content. And the more content that I can provide of these type of stories, the more I know you'll listen. And speaking of content, this week our guest is Jason Romano, former ESPN producer and now host and producer of the Sports Spectrum podcast. And let's continue with our guest in the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Joining us this week in the Rich Spotlight is Jason Romano, former senior manager and producer for 17 years at ESPN. And he's worked on such shows as Sports Center, Monday Night Football, Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game Day, College Basketball's Final Four. Major League Baseball's Home Run Derby, and Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. He's now host and producer of the Sports Spectrum podcast, where he interviews athletes, coaches, and other personalities, and talking about the intersection of sports and faith. And he's also a contributor to the Sports Spectrum magazine and contributes articles daily to SportsSpectrum.com. He's a speaker at many conferences, colleges, and companies, and churches, and he's currently writing his first book to be published by Core Media that's going to be available late in 2017. And he's also very passionate to help organizations grow and build awareness through social and digital media. Here's our guest interview with Jason Romano. All right, Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. I greatly appreciate your time, sir. Rich, it is a pleasure to be on with you. Great to be with you today. Uh, same here. Well, and I'm excited to explore your journey and the impact of sports in your life. So let's dive right into it and your story. And let's just walk back uh, to your childhood and you know why sports became an important part of your life. Uh, that's such a, a great question and, and a simple question, but a, a complex answer, I think, in some ways. That's but right. sports, it's really all I've ever known as far as uh, what I grew up with. You know, I grew up with a, a football helmet on and, a, you know, I'm sure I was wearing some jerseys back in the early 70s, late 70s, you know, as well. And it's just kind of all I've ever known. I, I came up in a, a sports family with my dad, who was a huge and it still is a huge sports fan. My grandfather. Uh, who passed away about 10 years ago, was a giant sports fan. And we used to 
go to games together and watch sports. And, and my grandfather coached me in little league. And so it's really all I've ever known. And, you know, I developed the same passion, uh, the same love for sports that both of them had. And I played sports as a kid. I played um, little league baseball. I played basketball throughout high school. I played baseball as well in high school and, you know, loved watching and playing in the backyard football. I never played football you know, for any kind of team. Uh, and it's actually a, a regret I have as a child. I wish I had done okay. that because both of my brothers did. Um, but I never did that, but I love football. It's probably my favorite sport to watch, uh, and root for my earliest sports team that I rooted for as a kid is the Cowboys, you know, in, in the late 1970s as a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I've, I've just always loved sports. Um, it's always been a passion of mine, you know, and I'm in my early forties now and it's still a passion. So it, it's just, it's something that's been ingrained in me, I think, from probably the time I came out of the womb. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I know how easy it is to be impacted by, you know, a team like the Dallas Cowboys, impressionable. I was the same way. So I, you know, Roger, oh, yeah. Dodger, all of those characters, uh, it's easy to become fans of the Dallas Cowboys at that time of your life. So I completely understand that. Now, oh, yeah. And it, for me, it wasn't even about the players. Okay. I, mean, I was five or six years old. It was the star. Yeah, you know, my dad tells me the story. My dad is a big time New York Giants fan, so okay. you can imagine how that household goes. Yeah. But my dad loves the Giants and, the, and and would have us watching, you know, the games with him when we were real little. The Giants were always on, but Dallas was always on in that second game in yeah. the doubleheader uh, because of being America's team, because of the team that uh, you know everybody wanted to see. The ratings were high, so I remember you know just kind of going to my dad and saying, "Dad, who's that team with the star in their helmet? Okay. That's awesome. Their uniforms are so cool." And he's like, that's the Cowboys, son. You don't want to root for them. And I'm like, no, that's the team I want to root for. And from that moment on, probably five, I have a picture of my sixth birthday okay. party at McDonald's of all places. And I'm wearing a Cowboys Roger Staubach jersey oh, and, a, yes. and uh, have my little Roger Staubach doll that I got for my birthday. So it's it's been a, uh, you know, a, a love, love, hate, hate, love, hate relationship. But I still... <laughs> will always root for my Dallas Cowboys, and I have been for a long time. Now, what about your brothers? Were they older, younger, and how was the mix in your family? And you know, how did they interact in the whole family aspect of sports as well? Yeah, so I, I'm the oldest okay. uh, of three, so I have two younger brothers. Yep. Uh, we have no sisters, so okay. it was three boys growing up in the household. And my middle brother is Chris, uh, and my youngest brother's name is Damien. And, you know, we're all three of us are just separated by four years. So we're very okay. close. Yeah. And you know, we all were sports fans. My, okay. my middle brother and I were probably the closest in terms of, you know, huge, giant, passionate sports fans. My yeah. little brother was, was sort of more interested in other things, but he watched sports and he played sports just wasn't as, uh, as super passionate at a younger age as we were. Now, as he's grown older, he's, he's a very passionate sports fan and loves watching sports. Uh, but my, my middle brother, Chris and I, uh, I mean, my middle brother, Chris was the best athlete in our family. Okay. Like he was a high school quarterback as a sophomore, um, broke a bunch of, uh, school records and was ready to go play in college before he tore his, his shoulder up. But oh he goodness. was the best athlete in our family by far. Like okay. he was hitting 15 homers as a 10 and 11 year old in little league. Yeah. You know, he was just far and away more advanced and just gifted athletically than myself or my younger brother was. So it, it, sports is a huge part of our family. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Now, was there, I know you'd mentioned, you know, you wish you would have played the, you know, on the football side, but was 
a, a particular sport you were more passionate about growing up actually playing it? Was it baseball or basketball? As a kid, baseball. So, okay. you know, you're looking at seven, age seven to age 12, baseball was it. It was Little League baseball. It was going in the backyard and, yeah. and pitching to my dad or, or pitching to my grandfather when he still could bend over okay. and catch and, <laughs> you know, going and, and practicing swinging. We would swing and hit tennis balls in the extended area of our backyard at our grandparents' house because uh, we didn't want to break any windows with yeah. the baseball. So okay. we just were always playing baseball. And at a young age, that was it. Like, And that right. also became the passion as far as watching. Now, I say I watched football and it was my favorite sport to watch and it yeah. still was. But baseball is such a long season from April all the way until October. And yes, I grew up a, a big New York Mets fan. And okay. in the mid-80s, the Mets were – were the team, Dwight Gooden and Daryl right. Strawberry and Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez and all those guys. And so they were very impressionable on 10 and 11 year old Jason. And so I wanted to be them. And I loved playing baseball. Yeah. Once I got to my teen years, that kind of waned a little bit and okay. basketball started to take a preference as far as playing. I love to play basketball and yeah. I really developed a passion for that in my teen years. But in my youth, preteens, baseball was it. And what about other sports figures that you looked up to outside of baseball? Any in particular in basketball? Yeah, Larry Bird is, okay. is actually my sports hero. That's you know, good. and Larry Bird, to me, <clears throat> and I finally started watching Bird when I was nine, ten years old. But I really don't remember it until I became a teenager, thirteen yeah. years old. That was, you know, in the the years when he was winning MVPs and, and championships in '86 and in finals appearances in '87 and. And uh, when I watched Larry Bird, I saw a guy who was selfless, but still the best player on the court, still scoring the most points, the best passer on the court. Um, you could argue that with Magic Johnson when he was on the court, too. But Bird was usually the best passer. He was the, the sneakiest and craftiest defender on the court. He wasn't the fastest by far and he wasn't the best, but he was the sneakiest. He was always a step ahead. And I in watching him play. He very rarely... Um, I guess he was he was known for his trash talking, but he did it very subtly to where if you're watching him, you didn't see a flamboyant, you know, look at me guy. You just saw a guy who took his lunch pail, filled it up and went to work and got on the floor, got dirty, got messy, did exactly what he had to do every single night to win a game and to help his team. And I was drawn to that. I mean, I just loved Larry Bird and he became my sports hero even more than any other guys from any of the other sports that I rooted for. And I, okay. I had my guys, you know, there was specific people that I rooted really hard for, but, but Larry was Larry legend was the guy. Yeah. And especially as I got older and you know, his last year in the NBA was my freshman year in college. And I remember knowing that this was probably the end and just wanting to kind of soak up and soak in every single game that he played that I could watch because I knew it wasn't, there wasn't going to be, much left to him. And so, I i mean, I remember having notebooks and keeping his stats oh, and watching okay. the game like I was keeping score at the game and cutting out newspaper articles. I mean, I was i was obsessed almost to, to the point of, uh, you know, overly crazy about the guys that I rooted for when yeah. I was a kid. And obviously, I, I was able to put that together and kind of turn that into a career at ESPN. But That's at the right. time, I thought I was just some crazy sports fan who 
who rooted for these guys and, and um, was in some ways a little obsessed. So in those early days and following all these sports teams and these uh, sports figures, when did it hit you that I want to have a career in sports? Was it early on or is it later on, you know, in college? Yeah, I didn't know uh, that you could have a career in sports. So okay. I guess I was just blinded by the idea that you could do that until I was probably a junior in high school, senior okay. in high school. And as I started looking for colleges, I remember talking to my mom and, I, and she would talk to me about, okay, what do you want to do for you know, a career? What do you want to major in in college? And I said, well, what is there? And I started looking down and you see liberal arts and you see marketing and you see accounting and you see science and, and all these things. And then all of a sudden journalism pops up and broadcasting. And I said, oh, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And as I started to explore and understand, wait a minute, you can actually have a job and a career in sports broadcasting, uh, you know, and, and things have to bounce your way, of course. But that was when yes. I noticed and saw that that was what my goal was. So I, I specifically chose the, the community college that I went to and the four year college that I went to to get my four year degree because of broadcasting and because of what they had to offer as a broadcasting program. So it was when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a meteorologist when I was in seventh and eighth grade. And I have no idea why I yeah. was obsessed with the weather. I kind of still am. Okay. Um, I, I watch the, 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 the meteorologists on TV and yeah. I'll tell my wife, hey, you know, that guy, he, he predicted 70 percent chance of rain and it didn't rain. What is he doing? You know, and I'm like <laughs> critiquing it like I'm some crazed, you know, analyst or something. But that's what I wanted to do when I was younger. So okay. I guess the TV side of it was always yeah. there. But the broadcasting for sports really didn't hit me until I was in high school, later in my senior year of high school. Now, so was it a thought that you wanted to be like a play-by-play guy or you wanted to be behind the scenes? You know, how did that figure into going into the journalism broadcasting? Yeah, when I was a <clears throat> when I was a senior in high school, my yearbook actually says, you know, they have like ambitions and goals yes. and favorite quotes and things like that for the seniors. And in the yearbook, it said, my ambition or my goal was to be the next Howard Cosell, the greatest oh. sports announcer that ever existed. Okay. So when I was a senior in high school, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do play by play. I wanted to be on air. I wanted to be the talent. And when I went to college, that's what I went to college for. I had a, a desire to be on the air. Uh, I had a radio show from the third day I started college at oh, 18 wow. years old. Okay. And, you know, did radio for four years in college. I hosted my own show. I did. I was a DJ. Uh, I also did television and and did basketball games and play by play and color commentary for those and just got my my hands uh, and my feet wet as as much as possible in as many areas as possible to learn about broadcasting. But I definitely wanted to be on air. And it wasn't until I got to got out of college and got to the radio station that I started my career at WGY in Albany, New York, that I realized the people who were on air there were legends who have been on the air for 20, 30, 40 years and were polished and really good. And I wasn't. I was this 23-year-old kid who just didn't <laughs> know what he was doing. And so they asked me if I wanted to be a producer and I started training and behind the scenes and realized, oh, I'm pretty good at that. And that's kind of when I developed a desire behind the scenes to want to produce and do that type of work. That journey before you actually got to ESPN, kind of walk us through after graduating and getting to the radio station and and then journeying into producing. What was that path like? Yeah, so it was an interesting path because coming out of college, I really, like I say, I still thought I was going to be on the air. So I had yeah. a resume tape done and uh, this is 1997. So I okay. didn't even, you know, there was 
there was no digital world yeah. really then. So, you know, I had a cassette with my on-air, you know, experience on it, which okay. I, I listened to it recently and it's terrible. So I can understand why nobody <laughs> called me, but I, I sent out 40 letters with this tape and in, a, in giant manila envelopes to radio stations, mostly sports talk stations, really the, the eastern side of the United States. Okay. I was willing to go anywhere. Not one single person called me. And that there was a couple things there. I wasn't down and, and, and depressed about it. I was just kind of like, okay, this is, I guess, how it's got to be. So I got to do this the hard way. And when I got out of college, it was 1997 in May. It was the end of June when I found WGY, the station I just referred to in okay. Albany, New York. And that's yeah. when I got my feet wet and really cut my teeth in learning how to work in radio and, and learning how to produce and be behind the scenes. And it wasn't until uh, April of 2000 that I noticed a job at ESPN was available and uh, I applied for it and they called me and I was so excited that they called just yeah. that they called if I never got the job but I got a call from ESPN that's a story I'd be able to tell my grandkids someday and they called and they brought me to Bristol uh, where ESPN is yeah. and I interviewed for the job and I started I got it and in July 18th of 2000 was when I started my career at ESPN. So it's been about 17 years now since I, I had just started my career there. And what was that first job? Radio producer. Okay. So that was the title. Um, I was hired to do the Saturday and Sunday afternoon shows. So at that time, you know, I was low on the totem pole, but they really saw talent, I guess, and wanted to hire me. So when they brought me on, but they were like, all right, the best we got for you is you know, the weekends, afternoon shows. And because the main shows, the Mike and Mike's, the Dan Patrick's, you know, those guys, those jobs were, were highly coveted and they, those were filled. So I wasn't yeah. coming in to, to work on those shows. So I worked on the weekend show for literally three days and I didn't care where they put me. They could have put me overnight. So I, don't, I wouldn't have cared. That would have been just the fact that I was working at ESPN was such a, an amazing thing to me. And then three days into my tenure, the the booker, the guy who books all the guests okay. on Mike and Mike left to go work for Fox. So I just happened to be right, you know, sitting there uh, as I was still training. I was three days into my my tenure. So I was still kind of training and learning from some of the people there. And our boss, Len, looked at me and he's like, hey, Romano, did you do any bookings when you were in local radio? Were you booking any guests? I said, yeah, actually, that was part of my job. I was a guest booker. And he's like, what do you think about booking for Mike and Mike? And I said, well, my resume, I'm sorry, not my resume, my Rolodex isn't, uh, isn't great. Okay. I said, but I would love to try it. Sure. And yeah. that's how I ended up. So I really, my first job three days into ESPN, I was on Mike and Mike in the morning. You know, we had a staff of three people, you know, producer Pete, uh, producer and board op Justin, uh, actually four. And then there was like a, a guy who did a, the, the pre-production uh, Kurt and then myself. So there was four people on the show when I left ESPN in February of 2017. And we'll talk about that obviously. Yes, but when I left, um, I was working on Mike and Mike again and the show staff was 25. My so goodness. it gives you an idea of how the show evolved and grew over 17 years to, from a staff of four to a staff of 17 yes. or I'm sorry, a staff of 25. Where do you go from there with ESPN? Yeah. So I end up on Mike and Mike, do Mike and Mike for a year, yeah. a year or so. And then from there, uh, it's funny. I, I think back and, you know, at that time, I don't know if I made the right decision. And obviously I did, you know, things worked out and they, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of fell into place the way they were supposed to. 
But Mike and Mike was just starting and I didn't recognize the the path that that show was was going on. So I was hired to be a producer, not a booker. Okay. And I really wanted to produce my own show. So I asked ESPN Radio and my bosses if they would let me produce my own show. And I said, I don't know where there's an opportunity, but can I produce a show uh, of my own? And I knew that wouldn't have been on Mike and Mike. So I kind of was asking off Mike and Mike to do that. And they said, yeah, we have an opening in the evening. So it was a Monday through Friday show. It was on from seven to 11 at night and it was called game night on ESPN radio. And so I, I I was excited. I was going to be the man in charge of that show and, and kind of working with talent directly and not just booking guests anymore. So I, I went that route and looking back, it probably wasn't the wisest decision. I mean, I got great experience running my own show at ESPN. I mean, that's yeah. pretty cool, right? But if I had stayed on Mike and Mike, who knows what that would have led to because they were on the verge of just taking off a couple of years later. Yes. Um, you know, like I said, though, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and it ended up being, you know, the right move for me. And, and it took me uh, in the path that my direction took. And I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't change anything at all when I look back. I just think like maybe that was the one decision that, could have went differently or yeah. maybe would have, you know, who knows what, what direction that would have taken because of the success that Mike and Mike ended up going on it to have. Now, how long was the run with game night? So that was about two years. Okay. So we're looking at 2001 to 2003, uh, on game night. And then from there I left to go to, uh, become a booker, ironically, a okay. talent booker. Uh, on the TV side. So at the end of 2003, an opportunity came to to transfer from the radio side of ESPN to the television side. And there was a lot of factors that went into me accepting this position to move to TV. Number one was opportunity because I just saw there was more opportunity in television at the time uh, for myself to meet people. You know, our radio establishment at the time was a smaller group of people. It was probably 20 to 25. Our television team was in the couple hundreds. Yeah. So I just knew there was more opportunities for people to kind of see the work I was doing to build relationships. And honestly, that was the best thing that ever happened to my career, uh, was becoming a TV talent booker because of just so many things from the people I worked with to the people I connected with the networking, the, the Rolodex building, you know, yes. the relationships, uh, the opportunities to work on the different shows that I got to on TV from the NFL to, outside the lines to sports yeah. center to first take there just became just so many uh, opportunities from making this decision to go to the tv side now were, there have been times throughout your career that you're like oh my goodness yeah i'm getting to talk to this person x or you know why <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah, i mean okay. listen the first day i started at espn i was a kid in a candy store and that didn't change for most of my okay. career it really didn't I mean, certainly when you work at a place for a long time, you know, the shine wears off a little bit, if you will. But there wasn't really a day where I went to Bristol and I drove to ESPN and I, that I said, what am I doing? Now, there, I had bad days. I had bad yes. weeks. I had bad That's months, light. even bad seasons of, of work there with yeah. some of the things going on. But I kept reminding myself, look where you work. Look, yeah. look what you're doing. You're working at the ultimate toy store that so many people desire to be at, to watch, to consume. You're at ESPN. And so that never changed. Yeah. And, you know, the working with celebrities on a, on a daily or weekly basis, which I did, uh, there were moments where you kind of got starstruck, you yeah. know, you're at, you're at a, um, 
a party at the Super Bowl and Michael Jordan walks in. The room stops. It's yeah, Michael yes. Jordan. I didn't talk to him. I didn't get to meet him, but I was in the same room as him. And you see him and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's yes. Michael Jordan. That's right. And so there's moments like that. There's moments like getting to meet your heroes. When when Tony Dorsett, one of my football heroes, or Daryl Strawberry yes, or Dwight Gooden come to ESPN and you get to spend time with them and talk to them and meet them. Yeah, there is an element yeah. of like just awe and wonder and excitement and the fact and you keep kind of pinching yourself like you realize what you're doing right now, Jason. You are <laughs> at work being paid That's to right. spend the day with Daryl Strawberry. Like think about that. 12-year-old Jason would be freaking out right now because yes, this would. was the guy that you watched, this was the guy that you idolized, you had his shirts, you kept his stats, and now you're being paid to take this guy around and have him be on different shows at ESPN. So there was definitely that sort of pinch me, look what yeah. I'm doing moment. Uh, there wasn't really any moments where I was completely just in awe where I couldn't do my job. Okay. There was one, maybe when I met Emmett Smith the very first time, Emmett was one of my, my favorite Dallas Cowboys yeah. of all time. And when I met him, there was a moment where I don't even remember what I said. Okay. <laughs> and it was like a five minute conversation. I took a quick picture with him and I remember calling my wife after I met him. And I said, Don, I don't think I've, I don't think I've taken a breath of air in the last 40 minutes. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I just met Emmett Smith. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm okay. I was so overwhelmed exactly. with sort of excitement and like being a 10 year old kid meeting your hero, you know, oh, that's but there great. hasn't been many moments like that. And for the most part, you know, you are hired to do a job. And when yes. you're doing that job, you have to remember to be professional That's right. and you have to remember to not you know, treat them in a lot of ways any different mm -hmm. than you would want to be treated and to, you know, they, they're coming to do a job as well. They're not coming to ESPN to sign autographs. They're coming to, to promote to something vote. or to yes. do interviews or whatever. So when that happens, you have to be professional. Yeah. About it. Now, what about uh, your ultimate sports hero, Larry Bird? Opportunity yeah, so of meeting him. I've never met Larry. Okay. Um, and now I'm almost afraid to meet him because I, I, I worry and I've heard <laughs> stories and I've never really had any any terrible stories like this of meeting my heroes and being yeah. disappointed. OK, but I have people who say they've met their heroes and they've been disappointed because they weren't the nicest person or they maybe they just had a bad day or whatever. Now, I don't know Larry Bird. I have no idea what type of person he is. I have no idea if he's nice or if he's not nice. I've heard him on interviews and I, I'm you know still a huge fan of his. Yes. Um, I would like to meet him though, just okay. to be quite honest with you, Rich, that before, before it all, it's all over, you know, I've been fortunate to meet pretty much every person I've ever cheered hard for over my career, over my life, except Larry Bird. You know, yeah. I've met Kevin McHale. Okay. I've met some of the other Celtic players I've met, um, you know, from the NFL, I've met my favorite Dallas Cowboys, yeah. Tony Dorsett and Danny White and. I've met, you know, Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and guys like that. And even yeah. Jason Witten, yeah. more recent, Tony Romo. And obviously I mentioned the Mets players that I've met. That's but right. Larry, I've never met. And I, I would like to at least say that I've met him. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how my path would ever cross with him now uh, with what I'm doing, but you never know. So speaking of paths and producing with ESPN and you know, you're there at a time where social media starts exploding. How did yes. that impact your role at ESPN and what you were doing? Yeah, so uh, it was around 2008, 2009 when I started discovering the okay. social media thing. Uh, you know, I was one of the few people like many, I shouldn't say few, but many people who who tried out the MySpace thing. That was okay. probably the first social media 
uh, place I ever went to and I didn't get it. I didn't understand what it was. Um, so I just kind of like didn't do it. I didn't take, pick part in it. Then Facebook came along. A friends of friends of mine from church introduced me to that in late 2008 and I'm sorry, late 2007. And suddenly I was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, it's a way to kind of share pictures and stay connected with family and, and friends you haven't seen in a while, which was cool. And then I discovered Twitter in March of 2009 or okay. February of 09. And when I discovered Twitter, that's changed the game for me. So okay. I became a really avid user of Twitter. Uh, I found that you can gain a lot of news. It became my newspaper is really what it did. Uh, you know, as a kid growing up, the first thing I did every single day was grab the sports page and read it cover to cover. I get up at 6 a.m. My brothers and I Same would here. actually fight over the, who would get to the, read the sports section first. Okay. And so that was my my thing. And as yeah. I grew up, that was always still the case. So when Twitter came along, you know, and I'm in my mid-30s or whatever, that became that newspaper that I would read first as a 10-year-old. And so Twitter really became this information resource for me. But then I also saw that you can share your thoughts with others okay. and you could share information with others. And you can be who you want to be on Twitter and really encourage people. You can use it as a, uh, as a tool to, to help people out or to share really great stories or whatever it is. And I just really fell in love with Twitter. So I was active on it, let's just say, from a very early uh, you know, discovery point for me. And I started to bring that into the workplace. Now suddenly I was using Twitter to book a guest. Oh, look, there's an athlete that's on Twitter I don't have his number. Let me tweet at him and tell him I'm working with ESPN and see if he'll respond. And that happened. So yeah. Andre Iguodala was the very first athlete that I ever booked for, via Twitter. And uh, this was 2009 during the finals. I think it was the Lakers and the Magic that were in the finals. And I booked Andre Iguodala to come to Bristol at ESPN to be on our shows to talk about the finals. The whole booking took place through Twitter and that Goodness. opened up a lot of people's eyes like, wait a minute, social yeah. media is like a real thing. This is actually not just a fun place to be, but Jason's using this to like leverage his job and get great guests for shows. And that was a game changer. So okay. for the next couple of years, I did that and I continued to do that. And I started to like create different Twitter accounts for ESPN shows and okay. really try to work on the side. It was more of a side hustle at ESPN of developing a social media presence. And then in 2012, I was approached by a guy who I had worked with on another show who was moving into our new social media group. And he came to me and he's like, would you ever consider a job change? And at the time it was just, you know, it was one of those moments where I was in my late thirties and, you know, I had done what I had done as a talent booker for nine years. Yeah. And if that was meant to be another nine years, that would have been okay. It was yeah. a really a, a fun job and a great job, but I was ready to try something different. And I knew I had a passion for social media and I was asked to and tasked to start the NFL social media at ESPN. We, we did not have a social media presence and they came to me and said, listen, we need to be on Twitter and we need to be on Facebook with our NFL coverage at ESPN and we don't have anybody. We think you will be great. Would you like to, to try this? And I said, yes. And I said, yes, before we talked about money, I said, yes, before we talked about <laughs> <laughs> job title before we talked about the, the duties that it was going to take to, to, to fulfill the job. I just knew that there was a passion there for what I, what I was interested in. And I love the NFL. So yeah, I, the fact course. that I got to stay on the NFL and work on the NFL was, a, 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 of the utmost importance for me. And in doing that, 
off we were. And it was social media time. And that's when I started my career in social media at ESPN was September of 2012. And obviously you became the social media guru from that standpoint. So talk us through the decision because you you made headlines, you know, at the end of last year and beginning of 2017 of your decision to leave ESPN. And a lot of it had to do with your faith and what you felt God was calling you to do. So kind of walk us through that, Jason. Yeah. So, you know, I've been a Christian uh, for about maybe 16 years in a week or two. And, and so 2001 was when I became a Christian and started to really take my faith seriously. And, you know, as a believer, you know, you, you know, as you grow in your faith with the Lord, I think, you know, you start having these thoughts and these convictions within you to want to do more for him. And what does that mean? You know, uh, to love others, to serve others, I think is the simplest, you know, answer to that. But what does that look like in your life? So it certainly looks like going to church. It certainly looks like, you know, being part of ministries and, you know, outreach programs and things like that, serving and volunteering, you know, working with kids, working with the teens, you know, all those things I I did at church and I, I, I love them. But somewhere along the line and probably two years ago or so, I started to think, can I take and leverage the skills and the experiences that I've had at ESPN and somehow bring them into an area where I can point people back to God? And I just started thinking about that. I think God started laying that on my heart, to be honest with you, Rich. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I didn't know when that was going to happen. Uh, I didn't even have any clarity on how uh, this was what sort of path this was going to go. And to be quite honest with you, I still don't know the, the, the end result, which is kind of, the, of a good thing. But yes. when I went to my wife and told her this, she thought I was a little crazy. Okay. You know, yeah. and she knew my faith was serious. And she, so that part didn't surprise her. Uh, but we were in Bristol, Connecticut because of ESPN. And, you know, I got to work in the, in the, the candy store in the toy store of, uh, of life in a lot of ways with sports and yeah. ESPN. So why would I want to leave that? And, you know, so I started praying and thinking about it and, you know, the thought never really went away. Um, but, you know, I don't believe in the, for the most part, when big decisions are to be made that you just kind of act on them and go like, yeah. there are some cases where I think that's, you have a strong conviction and you're being called to do something and you just get up yeah. and leave. But for the most part, I think that's why God gives us wisdom and, you know, and encourages us to be wise in our decisions and to be wise in the moves that we make in, in the in the areas that we step into. And so for me, I was really pursuing that. I was pursuing wisdom for a good year. Okay. And in that wisdom, I started to develop and pursue not only God, my relationship with God, but my relationship with others. So I spent the last year of my career at ESPN with Mike and Mike and working on the show again and doing their social media and really enjoying my job. But in the process of that, knowing that the time was coming soon for me to, to depart ESPN. And so in that year that I spent working on Mike and Mike, and like I said, I had a blast. I met so many great people and, and had a lot of fun with the work that we were doing. But I also took the time to really pursue God, be patient in this pursuing of God, because patience is something that we are all pretty bad That's at hard. and we want what we want and we want it now. And for me, I wanted to be out and get this 
thing rolling for the Lord as quick as I wanted it. And in the process of that, I really under, had to learn patience and learn to know that it's not my timing, it's God's. I really believe that uh, for me. And so in that year of working at ESPN, I just spent the time pursuing relationships, meeting people, um, getting to just know their journeys. And it wasn't just people within the broadcasting industry or even the sports industry. It was people in the faith world, pastors, authors, you know, writers, people like that, um, just different influencers and just getting to know them and talk to them and hearing their story and telling them my story, telling them what's on my heart. And in that process, doors started to open with a few things. Number one was a, a book deal, which blows my mind that I yeah. even say that, but I'm writing a book. It has nothing to do with ESPN, but it's about forgiveness and the personal, the very personal story of the relationship, broken relationship, I should say, with my dad and talking about parenting and, and growing up without a father, that type of thing. So all of a sudden I have a book deal and I'm still at ESPN. And I'm like, all right, God, what are you trying to do here? And in November, October, November of 2016, I got a call from a sports and faith ministry that was starting up a podcast and kind of restarting up a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a, like a digital media platform, yeah. I guess is the best way to call it. And they're, they're called Sports Spectrum. And they called me and they, in essence, offered me an opportunity to be in control of their website, to manage it, to, to write for it. But then even more exciting for me when I heard this was to host a faith and sports podcast. And when they called me and I said, you want me to host a podcast? I said, you realize <laughs> I've been behind the scenes producing for 20 years. Yeah. And they said, no, we, we want you to host it. We believe you're ready. We believe you've worked with the best hosts that the industry offers, which is true. Yeah. I believe that I have, you know, with the different people at ESPN. And they just said, we believe you're ready for this. We've watched you preach and, and, and speak a little bit, which you've been doing. So it was time. And to be honest with you, Rich, like, 20 year old Jason wanted to be on air. Remember when I was in college, that's, that's right. what I wanted to do. So at 40 years old, I'm getting this opportunity and I was so excited about it. And, and not only getting the opportunity to just host, but to be able to do a show that was a, the intersection of sports, but also faith and talking about God and talking about the stories of people in the sports world who have been impacted profoundly by a walk of faith. And I was so excited about that. And after talking some more, praying, long conversations with my wife, mm -hmm. really kind of looking at everything we had financially because I was taking a pay cut, you yeah. know, a very large pay cut to leave ESPN. And I don't say that to just for any pity party. Like it's not about the money or I wouldn't have left. It was about opportunity. It was about ministry. It was about following God's call and saying yes to the Lord. And so in February, it was time to say goodbye. And right. February 10th was my last day at ESPN. And uh, then we've been on this new journey since. So it's been a lot of fun, a little crazy, but I'm just trying to be obedient um, in following the calling that, that God has placed on my life. And so was there a particular day that you woke up and said, all right, this is it. I'm announcing. I got to go talk to the guys at ESPN. I'm leaving. I got to go tell them you know, <laughs> what I'm doing. Was there just one particular yeah. day or had you been talking to them in conversations and it just eventually led to that? No, that's a great question. So this was very hard for me to, to figure out how to tell them. Again, I've been there a long time and it was early to mid-December when I got the real offer okay. from this next job with yeah. Sports Spectrum. 
And their offer was to work basically 50, 60% of my time with them. So it allowed me for 40% of my time to kind of pursue other things like speaking, consulting, writing the book, et cetera. So I was getting this offer and I had this down and my wife and I really seriously talked about it. And I wanted to tell everyone right away. That was just my, I I don't like secrets. I don't like hiding. It's not lying, but I just don't like kind of deceptiveness, you know? And my wife didn't want me to tell everybody right away. She's like, don't tell them until you need to tell them. And, uh, you know, her, her mindset wasn't deceptiveness. It was just, you need to keep your job for two months <laughs> and <laughs> exactly, they right. easily could tell you goodbye in December yeah. and you weren't starting until February. Now, the idea of, for me to leave and start this new job in February was I wanted to see the work that I was doing with Mike and Mike through to the Super Bowl. Okay. So I knew that the Super Bowl and the NFL playoffs were a very big time for Mike and Mike as far as ratings go, That's as right. far as some of our um, remote broadcasts go. And I wanted to see that through. I didn't just want to leave them hanging. And I honestly didn't want to just uh, not experience those moments, those last few yeah. moments at Mike and Mike. So for me, I always targeted the date of February 10th from the very onset of when I found out about this job. That was the day I wanted to say goodbye. That was a week after the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was on February 5th. And five days later, on a Friday, it was February 10th. I said, I want that to be my last day. And so that would have allowed me to complete my job, to finish the NFL season, and then to get ready to move on from there. Well, the first time I told, I haven't been asked this by anybody, by the way, Rich. This is a great question, but the first time I told somebody was my, my boss, Steve, and I brought him into a room a couple weeks after, a couple weeks before Christmas. And I sat him down. I'm like, can I share with you something? And please don't share with anybody else for a little while here, okay. but I need to tell somebody at ESPN what's happening. Can I tell you something? He said, yes. So I told him I was leaving and I told him what I was doing. I was hosting a faith and sports podcast. I was running their website, et cetera. And he was so happy for me. Okay. And, and he's not a believer or a Christian or anybody, anything like that. But he simply said, this sounds like what you were meant to do. And it was really encouraging to hear that. Steve was great and walked with me for about a month of just him and I knowing this in terms of helping me plan the proper way to share with everyone, plan the proper way to exit. Because I really wanted to exit gracefully. I wanted to exit in the right way. I didn't want to just get up and out and leave um, and say goodbye. And that was it. You know, so I planned... Uh, you know, February 10th. And I also had a nice long, and I've been working on it for a couple months, almost a long goodbye note, because I really wanted to honor the people that poured into my life for 17 years. And there was a good 12 to 15 people that I named in this note that I shared on Facebook and Twitter that meant so much to me in my career. And I wanted them to know how grateful I was that they took the time to do that. And they may not even have realized it, but I really needed to have that, that moment where I thank them because, you know, they, none of those people had to take that time to pour into my life. They just didn't, uh, but they did. And it changed me. And, you know, hopefully I had an impact on other people as well in the same way at ESPN. But for me, I needed to be thankful to the people that, that shared in part of my journey and, and helped me along the way. Um, and that was not easy to, to not only just to pick the names yeah. because there's so many people that impact you when you work at a place like ESPN, but just to be able to, you know, have the right words to say and to do it in a, in a way that didn't shun or keep other people 
from feeling like they should have been honored or noticed as well. And that meant that was important to me. So the whole exit plan, it really was a strategy. I'm, I guess I'm a strategist in a lot yeah. of ways and a planner. And and so the moment that I knew I was leaving ESPN, I went into full planning mode. All right, how's this going to work? How's this going to be done? Who am I going to thank? You know, when am I going to leave? What's the dates? What shows am I going to work on? Uh, with Mike and Mike, when's the last time I'm going to say goodbye to them, that type of thing. So there was a whole planning process within myself that I really, you know, was intentional about. You've been able to talk about seeking advice and those that are wise. And so you can become wise. So, you know, I always ask all the guests to share some words of wisdom. So as we wrap up here, Jason, what's some words of wisdom that you have leaned on over the years and that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's there's a lot of different pieces of advice. You know, I remember being a a 23 year old just starting out in local radio, working with a morning show host who had been on the air. His name was Don Weeks, and he had been on the air for 30 years. He's a le- local legend, and he would say something similar simple to me. He's like, "Remember, Jason, everybody gets old." Because he was probably 60 years old at the time, but you can remain immature forever. I just laughed at that because obviously immaturity is is frowned upon in a lot of ways, like, oh, he's never going to grow up. And that's not what Don meant. He just meant always be able to go into your job looking to have fun, looking for the yeah. for the bright side, the positive side of things. And that stuck with me for my whole career, really my whole life. And, you know, my wife would tell you probably that I'm in my early 40s now. And when we met in my early 20s, I was pretty much the same guy. I've, I've certainly matured professionally and, and, you know, can have a conversation in a mature way, That's right. but I still try to have fun and just yeah. be goofy and just not take life too seriously because uh, when we do, I think that's when we can kind of get wrapped up and really just tense and tight and just not be able to enjoy this wonderful life that we've been given. Um, but the best words of wisdom I can give Rich right now for me has been a Bible verse that I've really clinged to for okay. a long time. And, you know, you mentioned wisdom in the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, right? Yes, it in is. Proverbs three, chapter three, verse five and six has been a, a real blessing to my life. And it simply states, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge me or acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And as I've really watched the second stage of my life in the, in the, the, the sort of aftermath of the time I worked at ESPN, that verse has meant so much to me because the more I put my trust in him, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, that means all of you, right? Lean not on, on your own understanding because we, we try to control it. In all your ways, acknowledge me and he will make your path straight. He will direct you. So when we acknowledge him, when we pursue him, when we're fully locked in with him, he's directing our paths. And I've seen over the last two years specifically the way that he has directed and orchestrated this path that I'm walking on right now. So I've just lived that out and not only tried to trust in God, but seen sort of the fruit from the seeds that were planted over these many years, but even especially the last couple of years. So I just love that, that Bible verse, Proverbs three, five and six. And, and that's just been such an encouragement for me. And I pray that it can be an encouragement for others as well. And that's very powerful. And I greatly appreciate you sharing that. And also, Jason, just thank you for sharing your story, your journey today. And 
you know, obviously the impact of faith in your life and then also just the impact of sports in your life. Really do appreciate it. And I thank you so much for your time and really looking forward to your book coming out. Yeah, thank you, man. And listen, I'm excited for your podcast and I'm excited that you're doing this. And, and uh, you know, I pray and hope that you can really impact a lot of people and, and bring a lot of like I said, positivity to uh, a world where we need it right now. So congrats on the podcast launch, and I'm excited to to walk this walk with you. And thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason Romano, and it just really reinforces what I truly believe about life. You know, we don't always know what the future holds, and life isn't lived with a crystal ball, so we can't see how our decisions impact our journey. You just have to make a decision and understand that you won't always have the answer to what's the outcome. And that's obvious with Jason's decision to leave ESPN. And I imagine the same holds true for many of you, that you make decisions on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis and really not understanding what the outcome is. And that's okay. Just follow your passion, follow your heart, and just understand that Your path is not dictated by what you expect the future to hold. A lot of times it's just dictated by you making a decision to take that step forward. Now, if you want to connect with Jason, you can follow him on Twitter at Jason Romano. And don't forget to visit SportsSpectrum.com. And there you can find his podcast and also the Sports Spectrum magazine. All right, let's continue and finish up this week's episode with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. This week, the weekly words of wisdom come from Nobel Prize winning novelist and short story writer Isaac Singer, who penned the novel The Family Moscat and the short story Gimple the Fool. And he wants us to focus on remembering our actions. And his quote, We know what a person thinks, not when he tells us what he thinks, but by his actions. And it just reinforces something that we've heard all our lives, and that is actions speak louder than words. So just remember those key words this week. And as you're in your daily grind, your weekly grind, however that might be, and just remembering the importance of your actions versus your thoughts. So now that ends episode number 10. What a great journey it's been so far, and I'm looking forward to the journey continuing. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening. 